Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year 2019. I am your host, Greg, and today's show is brought to you by Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, because cut gems, who cares? Joining me tonight is my, let's see, best friend. Who won last week, you guys? Who I can't I can't quite remember. Oh, here he's that's his music. Oh my god, it's Mike! <gasps> I'm doing the Hulk Hogan thing. <laughs> yes. Just to tell yes. the listeners. You want to hear it, right? I want to hear it. Mike is a true American. The best part about the Hulk Hogan thing is he comes out singing the lyrics to his song, I'm doing the Hulk Hogan thing, and just repeats that line over and over I'm doing again. the Hulk Hogan thing. I'm doing I the destroyed Gawk. I destroyed Gawker, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Peter Thiel took down a media empire. Also joining us for some reason is Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think back in times that we were friends, Greg. Uh like, do you remember way back in the day, Greg, where there was an actual Hulk Hogan album and we knew most of the lyrics to <laughs> yeah, every <of> single song? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be jealous of mine and Greg's current friendship so you try to, like, go on a 20-year <laughs> bond. <laughs> okay, Greg, remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan? I do. I love Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And when you're remembering Hacksaw Jim Duggan, are you forgetting about Mike? Uh, yeah, a little bit. What if I'm Hacksaw That's- Mike Mike now? I couldn't Hacksaw? think of a last name. You don't even know what you're talking about. You have a last name. I know. I blanked out of my yours. own last name. It's I'm Brooklyn. not sure how I feel about this show being sponsored by <laughs> yeah, the film Uncut Gems. Now like, gonna, is that going to oh, affect us at all? Is that a problem for people? Only going to review favorably, I guess. Uh, I just, you know, if you want the fun and excitement of this podcast in film form, Uncut Gems. <laughs> Uncut Gems brought to you by the Safdie Brothers. There's three guys in suits that are like shaking their head no at me. Not when I'm about to say something mean, but every time I talk, they're just saying no. Don't just please don't talk. What, what I do just like is I, I don't think our life is anything like Uncut Gems. We're not successful. We're not rich. We don't bet. Uh, but the amount of panic we all feel all of the time, the movie does induce in everybody. So I think that's important. Yeah. Dude, we probably should give a shout out. Is this weird times to be watching this movie? Obviously, in the show, we're going to be talking about like the panic angle, but. Do the times make it particularly weird to be checking out Uncut Gems? That I feel like everybody knew the pandemic was coming and we were going to do this season because there's not one movie in our season that I'm like, yeah, I'm totally cool to lay back and watch that movie right now. I can think of a reason each movie is going to make me uncomfortable. We have, and I feel like I've been saying this all season, we have Little Women coming. Like That is going to be a movie that we watch, and I think that's going to be a nice oasis from all this shit. But Beth, Beth gets the first coronavirus. You know... <laughs> the worst part is beth gets sick and then recovers but is never quite the same and then dies later that's the most traumatic thing about Beth, life for sure (laughs) but uh i it kind of reminded me we talked the same thing when we did the midsummer show we talked about you know are these weird times to be watching a movie like this honestly i'm so panicked all the time Maybe it's because I this is the second time I saw the movie, but I was actually I was less stressed out. I was like, dude, at least these people aren't fucking all gonna like be like, am I gonna be able to get a ventilator? Like that, that he's this guy doesn't have real problems right up until the end, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, Greg, you said something about on Midsummer Midsummer about how you know like horror can be fun if it takes you away from your actual life's horror. 
Yeah, if you're like afraid of this thing that isn't really actually endangering you in any way, it's like that relieves some of the tension. Which, yeah, I think that Uncut Gems is, you know, it's interesting to focus on how well the directors do the panic as uh-huh. opposed to just feeling the panic inside you. Hopefully we can get to that a little bit. But what I don't understand is, and I know we're just trying to talk about Uncut Gems. I understand that, but let's not. People... <laughs> are going out of their way to watch Contagion right now. Yeah. Like, they're actually searching for the horror movies. That's crazy town to me. Yeah. Like, that you, you would want to actually see, like, a pandemic entertainment now. Is it? Do you, do you think they're trying to, like, glean lessons? They're, like, taking vigilant notes? <laughs> and they're like, all right, what did they do wrong? Because I'll do it right. Okay, I don't have my doctorate in pandemia, so I'm already down one. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, stay away. <laughs> Stay Which away. I think that's good advice for everyone at all times. I'm going to tell everybody dude, it made you we, sick not to, to stop fucking cheating because that's the real source of all disease. Did we ever talk about the fact that she came out with a show for Netflix and the name of that show is Goop Lab? <laughs> <laughs> and then the art is like very evocative. Can goop I tell lab. you guys, during this quarantine, my shower has become quite the Goop Lab. Were <laughs> <laughs> you just watching the show and shower? Had you guys uh, seen Uncut Gems before today's episode? I had seen it, yeah. Uh, another case of I watched it like two weeks ago and then had to make the decision of whether or not to watch Stop. it again. Stop. Stop doing it. Get this. yourself a day planner, dude, and put down things. It's just like... We planned this months ago. Yeah, this is on record. But, I mean, it all, it's also like, why watch any movie if I'm not going to run and direct into the studio and directly talk to you guys about it right afterwards? Like, it seems pointless, but... I think that it did allow me to focus less on my beating heart, you know, and uh-huh. I was nervous. I was nervous if that it was going like a lot of the stuff that was good about it was going to go away. And I will say no. I think that I really love this movie. Uh-huh. I think my struggle is trying to explain why and like are they legit reasons, you know? That's what I sort of want to do today is is this movie just up my alley? Which I don't think is that legit of a reason. Or is this legit good? And why would it be particularly up your alley, Ryan? Uh, crime and, you know, there's like, there's this Scorsese feel to it. There's a Tarantino feel to it. Like mm-hmm. all of these, like, you know, New York, nonstop, adrenaline-fueled, cocaine-fueled uh, movies that uh, they're just so watchable. And it's like yeah. what I grew up on. Like when I went from little kid watching movies to like a full-grown man watching movies while I chop trees down, uh-huh. uh, that this was the type of movie that got me there. You know, yeah. So anytime something like this comes out, I have maybe more of an affinity to it than I should. Okay. How about you, Mike? Had you seen it before this viewing? I had not seen it before, and I can't wait to see it without a panic attack in the back of my throat the whole time. Because <laughs> knowing really does help. Uh, and it is a fucking battle. roller coaster. Did you feel it all, Mike? This was another one of our heavily memed movies. Mm-hmm. Not all of our movies from this year were memed to the same degree. This one really was. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it was, even before I saw it the first time, I had a lot of ideas of what happened based on memes. Did you have any of that? I just knew at some point he was going to tell somebody how he wins. And the whole movie was like, yeah. so when is he going to fucking tell everybody how he wins? Is and this how he does, wins? Did he, did he say that differently than you thought he was going to? Yes. I thought it, it I thought, was just like so brief. I thought it was going to be very Scorsese, Robert De Niro, like somebody's head is on a this desk with a gun against I their win. head. This is how it like tough game. Yeah. Like a, a big camera swooping in to like yeah. have him say it. Like what was memed from this movie was 
just like these very weird, obscure parts of the movie. Yes. You know? Yeah. There's a point in the movie where he opens up, like he holds the gem while one of his employees is screaming at him and he's like, I'm going to come. I'm, gonna, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. That's memeable right there, baby. That's what you and, mean. Yeah, I would meme Do different you know? things for sure. <laughs> you're obviously supposed to be paying so much attention to what adam sandler's doing there but the other actor he's like obviously just supposed to vamp while adam sandler like writhes around but the actor like runs out of gas and so he's like look at you look at you what what are you doing you're looking through fish he says to explain how his life is like out of control he's like look at you you're looking through fish (laughs) like that is, dude, you know you've hit rock bottom when you're just filing through fish, when you're just rifling through a big bucket of fish. There's only oh, yeah. two reasons to look through, like, just fish guts. One is to look for those un- sweet, sweet, uncut gems, and two is you're about to tell, like, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham his future and how to take down the Robert of <laughs> Did you guys feel like for a movie called Uncut Gems, there's an awful lot of cut gems? Like, like I would say at least ten times as many cut gems, right? Yes, and then also, did you notice that uh, his mistress's name, Jules? Did you guys get that? Oh, Jules! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He probably named her. Your name <laughs> shall forever be Jules. I'm married. Nope. <laughs> That's a really weird part about having a younger girlfriend. You can just <laughs> you name have him. to name her. <laughs> That's probably too young. And that's probably a great time to say that's enough of that segment. When we come back, we're going to get right into our first question. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I started Taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Jewel, power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never resurface you think like anything. Than I don't know who said that. I told you about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. The movie is tense right away and only slows down like twice. Does that unrelenting nature of it actually destroy the tension build? Or does it make it feel like a cinematic panic attack? I mean, yeah, I think that this is the 
besides, I guess, Adam Sandler's performance, this is the one thing that the movie's, you know, focused on and all conversations should be focused on mm-hmm. is this, like, almost director's exercise of panic mm-hmm. of just seeing if we can just create it out of nothing, out of, like, cameras and script. It, uh-huh. and, and they do a fucking excellent job at capturing. Everybody's like, you got to move to New York, baby. It's beautiful. We love it there. But this is what living in New York feels like. Once, like, the tourism, like, oh, wow, this is crazy. You just feel anxious all the time that somebody will hurt you when you least expect it. Yeah, I've never <laughs> been to New York, um, but I don't want to go because people are either shitting on it when they talk about it or even when people are complimentary about it. I don't like, oh, no, thank you. That is not for me. You know, like it never sleeps and it's got its own heartbeat and you just step and pee all day. It's so <laughs> weird how many euphemisms for we're all on coke people have when they talk about New York. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so obviously people talk about like the, the panic nature of this movie and one of my reservations about that is yes it definitely does feel like a sustained panic attack but is that always just organically earned or did they do it by like having the music be 50 percent too loud there'd just be like a boiling pot in one corner a screaming <laughs> baby in another one <laughs> but see yeah i like i look at the music and the uh talking over each other like somebody more than one person's always talking in this movie as as organic you know those are tools that are at director's disposals what i think would be inorganic is if like at the peak of the panic now aliens are also attacking yes. uh, th- uh-huh. th- I, there's nothing like that and like i think that there was a lot of time and uh, effort put into howard causes everything right a lot of it he causes because of actions before the movie starts which mm-hmm. i think is awesome but it's all because of him he wants less panic and in order to make less panic he causes more panic, and that has probably been his entire fucking life. Yeah, I think he's a singular focused guy. It, what, what it does is not just tell you what the city is like, but it is an addict story. And if you're always bumblefucking your way or sprint bumblefucking uh, your way <laughs> to the next thing, you're never going to sit and think about your next move. And so he's such a, a character of hunger and need and in the moment desire that he's always shooting himself in the foot and causing everybody to panic a little. And I think that, yeah, if you're, if you're like, uh, if you have friends that are quote unquote adrenaline junkie junkies, cause they like bungee jump twice a year on vacation. That is not this, you know, those are people who are like, those are activities you do on vacation. You know, if they climb a mountain, that's not that this is the addiction of adrenaline and never being able to stop. And, Howard was going, it was just going to end poorly. And I think uh-huh. there's some scenes where you can see that he knows that too. He just wants to put it off for a little bit longer. He, he and, literally and- cannot stop. He is like so compulsive mm-hmm. that even though he knows that it's going to kill him. And I think there's a case you can make that in this movie, he is definitely trying to get two things. He's trying to get escape through like the pleasure associated with his gambling. But also he has a death wish. He has an absolute death wish and he's trying to make himself die. Yeah, he doesn't know when, but like you don't try to fist fight the weekend at the weekend show if you don't want to get hurt a little. <laughs> like in every every move, you don't bring like your son up to your mistress's apartment. Like every move is like, how will maybe somebody guillotine me because of what I do next? Yeah, how close to the edge can I get? There's a look on his face, and this look is all over the place. But I'm gonna point out this one time in the, his daughter's play, uh, and before the play starts, uh, somebody, a little kid taps him on the shoulder, so he looks behind him. And then he sees his fucking brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Good reveal That there. reveal was gnarly. Yeah. Uh, his brother-in-law's, like, uh, thugs, right? And then it cuts back to Adam Sandler's face and the face he makes of, like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. But also, 
I, I'm coming and fuck yes, and this is my life. And <laughs> now I don't have to sit through this garbage play. <laughs> I hate this life. You know, I hate this life, but also I don't know what other life I could possibly have. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so the the bad times are the good times. This this is somebody like there's so many through the last thirty years people saying oh video games are ruining kids' life. This is the first time I'm like oh this is a character who wants his life to be a video game and is fucking up enough to make it so at every <laughs> chance. Part of what I think makes this so tense is it's not very clear what's going on at any point in the movie. You guys mentioned uh, Arlo, his brother-in-law. How did you feel about the way that, like, at first, doesn't Arlo almost, you think that he's, like, some sort of mob guy? Mm-hmm. But then it slowly revealed, holy shit, this is this guy's brother-in-law? I, I think so often when people think of Slice of Life, they think of, like, boyhood. Like, nothing's gonna happen. But there's also, this This is a Slice of Life take. I, like, Ryan in the intro said, like, Scorsese and Tarantino, but I also think uh, both Linklater and Altman uh, these guys are so often when you're like, oh, I can see your influences. It's because you're very bad at it. And uh-huh. These are just like young <laughs> filmmakers who know exactly what they want to pull from all these directors and are doing fucking awesome things with it. I mean, the fucking fact that we have to do a show about the Joker in this season after watching this is criminal. That's the per- I didn't know how perfect that would be because people are like, well, Scorsese, it's influences. <laughs> like, fuck you. I want to shove the DVD copy of Uncut Gems down your throat. But yeah, I think, Mike, that you're getting uh, to the like the heart of it is that they're, they are great at creating panic. And the mm-hmm. only other movie I've seen of theirs is the same thing. It's basically in real time, or not real time, but like one night, and it's just a panic exercise. But with Uncut Gems... They're clearly it, they're good at the panic, but they're fascinated in the character, you know. Mm-hmm. And if that fascination does not translate to you, then I don't think you're going to like the movie. But if you can get on their page, I think that you will become just as fascinated not like not like not necessarily root for, but as fascinated with Howard as the Safdie brothers are. And then I think right. that means that they were successful. And he, the character, from what I understood from my research, the character kind of existed outside the movie for a long time. It's kind of based on somebody that they worked with. But like if it, it feels like the movie is is just something to like display this character that they found so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, what I read is that it was their dad grew up around people like this. Like he worked yeah. in the Diamond District, and I don't know if their dad was Howard, but they definitely had Howards come into their life. No, yeah. their yeah. dad was the guy who's like, "You're looking at a fish." <laughs> You're <laughs> just a mellow guy who wisely goes to a different, slower diamond place. Looking through fish. I mean, I worked in. An industry, the oil industry, the trading side of it, that was very much like this. I see characters in this, like the the people who actually do the the money work, and they remind me of people I knew, people who were like so good at math, but then also so socially broken, but also a lot of times shameless and using like really leveraging that shamelessness in the way that like our dear president does to basically be successful, like using it like as jet fuel (laughs) to get somewhere. Because (laughs) if you will move without shame, you can go really far. Shame is a huge limiting factor. And that's sort of what creates... Like that, like turns uncut gems into this fantasy world where mm-hmm. we at least get to feel comfortable in our living rooms or in theaters watching this, knowing that we're not part of it, even though it's in this country and it took place uh, like seven years ago. It's a fantasy world because all of these people act like this and also aren't surprised when other people act like this. You know, yeah. they live in this bubble where this is totally fine and we get to sort of look at it. Whereas if we ran into any of these people in our you know, very sheltered lives. We would freak the fuck just out. Just vomit. Just well, yeah. vomit. We would just the, go, like, fall to the ground. People who do, like, who move money around a lot have a way of talking to each other where they're either screaming at each other 
or like very complimentary and you see that uh-huh. so many times in this movie where he's just like picks up the phone and as soon as he's talking to someone he's just like oh my god you fucking asshole <laughs> and uh, then two seconds later he's like okay thank you very much <laughs> if i if i was mad at my wife and she was holding a uh, like a juice and i hit it so hard that it splashed all over her i don't think we'd be cool a couple hours after no, that yeah <laughs> or uh when uh you know, towards like in the middle of the movie, Howard is screaming at uh, Arno, his brother-in-law, and one of his thugs punches him right in the fucking throat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then Howard gets his voice back, right? Like g- catches his breath and then runs back after them and saying, doesn't even say like, "Hey, don't do that," or "That's totally fine, you did that." Just moves on with his fucking life and <laughs> starts screaming at them again. That's not my world. <laughs> you brought up uh, earlier. You, we were talking about Arlo or Arno, excuse me. And you said that like Howard is is at fault for everything. I think what's interesting about this movie is that's obviously he's the one that like starts everything moving. But I think there's another way you can look at this movie where Arno is just fucking up the entire time, almost yes. as big. First of all, the giving a hundred thousand dollars to his brother in law that was a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And then what he hires these two guys to like go collect the money, right? Like he More doesn't than like friends. I think that it was the, hard to tell. I think that. Yeah, okay, so the movie doesn't say, and that's part of what makes it so tense, but my guess, having seen it a couple times now, is he can't get the money from Howard, and so he goes and he gets a couple heavies, and once he brings them into the situation, he sort of loses control of it. Right, and the, I mean, just the decision to hire the one guy. You guys know who I mean with the one guy, the guy who is a little bit tougher. like the sort taller of, guy. Yeah, taller guy. Doesn't belong in this movie, belongs more in like an 80s action movie. Just that uh-huh. decision to hire him is like takes on a lot of responsibility in the movie and we mentioned all these other directors but i think that hiring of that thug is what also makes this a coen brothers movie Uh because the coen brothers have these special like these very focused interests on humans like this movie does but the coen brothers can't help but also add this tornado agent of chaos into their movies Uh whether it's like it's the bike rider in raising arizona or it's anton chigore in um no country uh, or literal literal tornadoes and shit from a simple man. This guy doesn't belong in this world. And so he really isn't a human. He is this Tasmanian devil that has been brought into this world. Everyone right. thinks that uh-huh. Arno and Howard and Jules and even like Adina Menzel all think that their life is going to be shitty, but the same amount of shitty for the rest of their lives. And then once this guy is introduced, that's no longer the case. Yeah. And that's so <laughs> Cohen. Bring, it, it's inter- bring the Terminator and I think KG because... These like everybody else is used to their normal diamond trading world, and then these other people come in and start to fuck it up because KG is used to the rules of KG. Apparently, people just give him whatever he wants whenever he wants, uh-huh. and he starts fucking up Howard's shit even more than if he had never existed in this movie. Greg, are you listening to our little our little sports fan over there? Same I know. Things like KG. He just I yelled KG say, through the whole movie. I have to say, one of my favorite like understated sub like plots of this movie is. KG loves a rock. Mm-hmm. KG found a rock that he loves more than anything in the world, and he has to have it, and he'll do anything to get it, and he wants this rock. And when they pitched this to Kevin Garnett, they clearly got him to just totally buy in, because he does not try to act cool about it at all. Kevin Garnett loves this fucking rock, dude. Uh-huh. Kevin Garnett saying, hey, give me the rock. Basketball talk. When we come back, we are going to build ourselves a Rushmore. Have you heard of this place? Stick around.
Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is a fictional mountain from the Rushmore series of books written by John F. Kennedy shortly after he was relocated to Cuba, 1963. Wink, wink. You didn't hear it from me. The uncut gems guys in the suits over here are giving big thumbs up after everything you just said. I don't know yeah. why, but they love that shit. <laughs> They're conspiracy theorists. They're really into that. We used to build Rushmores all the time, but then our whole storage area got absolutely full of them, and our landlord asked us to cut it out. Thanks, landlords, for absolutely nothing. So we've had to cut it down a little bit, but we are going to make a Rushmore of Ghostbusters from 2019. A year without comedies. A year with no comedies and with nothing to laugh about. That was merely prelude to a vast hellscape that we now live in. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to try to find like the four biggest uh comedy star for four biggest stars comedy stars people that are going to pack the theaters remember how we used to do this we would go and we would take a space and we would fill it with our bodies and we would all respirate in no, the same I don't space like this. i'm thinking of a netflix movie that like, <laughs> takes months to boil and everybody talk about i'm not trying to fill any space with bodies greg listening to you describe these times is like somebody found a teddy ruxman and put a cormac mccarthy audiobook cassette into it <laughs> i love it i'm digging it <laughs> So we got to get big stars for this movie. Um, The kind of celebs that would look deep into a camera and sing us a song that would take our pain away one at a time. Ryan, I'm going to go to you first. Who do you think should be on the the, our 2019 Ghostbusters? So I think that uh, I think that you got to put butts in seats, and I think that you have to, if not be an outright comedy star, you have to be at least okay with comedy. You know, Dan Aykroyd has never been in a comedy, but he was a Ghostbuster, so figure that out. I think... <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah, fuck you, Dan Aykroyd. Dude. <laughs> Idiot. Long-time listener Dan vodka. Aykroyd is now crying. The reason that Mike is on Moody, a movie of the year, is because Dan Aykroyd said no. So I'm still a little pissed that it, it should be <laughs> Greg Ryan and Dan. <laughs> but I think that the number one 2019 but Cedar and comedy-ish... Is Tom Holland, and I want him leading this Ooh. Ghostbuster team. Ooh, wow, that is so strong. That is a very strong candidate. You know what? I got. I got put. I'm putting it right up on the mountain. Points that that goes right up on the mountain. Of course, Tom Holland is Hollywood's um, Taylor. Everybody knows that <laughs> Hollywood's graduate. But yeah, you know, I don't think that I would want him to carry something that was only a comedy, but as just like one of the gang. Yeah. participating well, in comedic he's the new scenes. Kid, right? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's the one that's just like he saw them doing some ghost busting and they followed them around and they finally had to bring him in to do it. Well, that's very good. I like that. You're definitely getting a point for that one. Mike, who do you think should go on our Rushmore of Ghostbusters? I, I am trying to lean comedy uh, and I think somebody who's been bubbling up for a long time, and we loved her in 2019, and I think the world is falling in love with her, is Aquafina. I think Aquafina. she doesn't have the star power of Tom Holland, but I think she is comedy and will bring more and weirder people. She's going to hit a weird quadrant that Tom Holland cannot. Now, Aquafina, very funny in Crazy Rich Asians, correct? Mm-hmm. Would you guys agree with that? Um, very good slash funny in The Farewell, right? Yes. Yes. Have either one of you seen Nora from Queens? Yeah. Have we not, not talked about this? I I watched one or two. I bailed because one, there's too much good TV. But two, it relies 
heavily on just her sort of like flailing around or that's yeah. bad. just like you gotta love just her essence as opposed to like her thoughtful stuff you know and yeah. so I, I bailed i feel like there was a lot of scenes where they were like save us aquafina and yeah. she doesn't like uh-huh. <laughs> uh so i'm gonna leave her on the maybes but it's a strong maybe because i think is that you- a 2020 show and also written from her versus so we've decided she's great when she's using somebody else's words she's I'm just a- campaigning now She's a strong maybe. She's a strong maybe. I want to hear other options, but I think it also does feel like a very 2019 casting, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So I it's it's on the it's on the very top of the maybe pile, I think you'll find. Ryan, who do you think should be on the mountain? I can't believe we haven't already talked about this person. Um of course, they are great at comedy cuz they're great at everything. Ladies and gentlemen, Pop Filters, actress of all time, Florence Pugh should be a ghostbuster Whoa. and of course she'll be funny. If that's what we ask her to do, she'll also kill ghosts. She probably won't even need to use like CGI or <laughs> their, the the ghost sh- shooters that they make for her. She probably invented her own because she's fucking perfect. When have you seen her be funny? I love Pew. But oh, also, her name is the sound effect for the ghost shooter. <laughs> well, you're gonna get butts and seats with that one for sure. I do believe she could do the comedy, but I'm gonna put her on the maybe pile. Horseshit. Yeah. You're definitely you're gonna get a different Ghostbusters with her in there, and I. It's probably better, but is it the is it the one we want? Is it the is yes, it the blockbuster absolutely. that we want? I feel like if we were in a pat in a post Black Widow world, this upcoming Black Widow movie, I feel like would give me a lot more direction. But I haven't mm-hmm. seen it, and so I'm just imagining her like sort of like mute horror at seeing Slimer for the first time <laughs> and being sort of taken out of the movie as she seems so legitimately upset by this weird bundle of ectoplasm. Or lights lights the uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man on fire, and then it comes back to her. And she's got that smirk, like that slow. And now smirk the Ghostbusters building. like, what did you do? Uh, honestly, now I'm now I'm liking it again. <laughs> okay, man, strong looking maybe pile. Mike, do you have one that could go on the mountain? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, comedy of the year, at least uh, in critics and people talking about it, was not in the theater. It was always Be My Maybe. And Randall Park, you know, if you want a closer, and I see him as like an Egon type, he's bringing these kids together. The other Ghostbusters kicked him out, and now he's like getting this fucking Bad News Bears version. Okay, I didn't see Always Be My Maybe. What else was he in? Was he the guy that was in Ant-Man? Ant-Man, yeah, he's fresh Ant-Man, off the boat. He's in fresh okay. off the boat. Okay, okay. I've, Ant-Man 2 has done it for me. He's up on the. He's going up on the mountain. Uh, he's going to be in uh, Wandavision. So he Mike, is. I, I think I'm picking up what's uh, what's going down here. Uh, Tom Holland and Randall Park. Greg has seen Marvel, already in the MCU. Lawrence oh, yeah. Pugh. He has not yet seen in the MCU. So that's the maybe. <laughs> yeah, where are they on the MCU scale? It, it, that's just how I make decisions. Okay, everybody has their own way of coming to conclusions. This one happens to be mine. Okay, well. I, the one thing I think I've been a little derelict in my duty here is I got to get big stars. I got to get the stars. I feel like the comedy is taken care of. I need... Do you have stars for me, Ryan? I do, Greg. I actually think that... Unfortunately, I'm going to solve both of those things. I'm going to put in a star, and I'm going to uh, handle a little bit of comedy as well. Um, Mike, you said that the favorite, the most critically uh, loved comedy of the year was Always Be My Maybe a title that I have struggled with on previous shows. It's hard. It's not easy to say. <laughs> uh, but I disagree. I think that there was a comedy, if you could call it that, uh, that was more critically loved. And I think that there was somebody that was very funny in it. 
I'm not sure what accent Daniel Craig will choose to do for Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hopefully like Jamaican or something this time instead of that like uh, foghorn leghorn thing he did for Knives Out. <laughs> but I think as long as he picks something goofy, I think he could lead this fucking team. He's got the eyes. He's got the star power. He's, uh, th- he's franchiseless. He needs that franchise. That's so true. Also, I recently I saw a picture of him like two days ago without his shirt on. How, how old is this guy? 74. Wow, he really looks good. <laughs> Keeping it tight. <laughs> he looks especially for 74. Uh, he, he, he's a zaddy. He's cute. Uh, good for him. That's It must be nice. Uh, and I think he's got the star power, and I love the funny voice idea. Um, maybe even, there could maybe even be a, just an English Ghostbuster. I think that I would guess. be real funny. Yeah, no, not my Ghostbusters. He's calling all the Ghostbusters Gov and stuff like that. If if oh he, yeah, Cockney British. Yeah, yeah. let's bring some Dan Vin- Dick Van Dyke. If he's gonna be British, he's got to be like the exact opposite British of whatever he actually is. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is Jamaican. We're gonna put him right up on the mountain. All right, Mike, give me one more, and then I'm gonna like peruse my maybes. That sucks because I have two great more. Uh, okay, give me. You wait. know what? For you, my best friend, give me two more. All right, so I'm gonna get comedy in one and star power in the other. So we're gonna start with comedy. Another. Huge comedy. There's very few, and huge is uh, a scale here in 2019. But uh, people loved it. People talked about it. And she's been bubbling for years. Uh, Beanie Feldstein from Booksmart, uh, I think, could chew out some ghosts with a lot of swear words in a very amusing way. She was one of the Booksmarts? She was one of the Booksmarts. She was the brunette Booksmart. Beanie Booksmart. Beanie Booksmart. Booksmart. Jonah Jonah Hill's sister. All right. Who else Uh, you got? You want the star power... And now I'm, he is on my list, but I'm, I'm, is it Jonah Hill? It's not Jonah Hill. It's a uh, star power. He can do very funny. He's looking for roles that he hasn't done. Uh, he's also in the Knives Out family, Chris Evans. Ooh. I feel like I know why you added this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I learned the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I have seen him in a lot of Marvel movies and I did like him. Okay. So I'm going to put all of these maybes in a big pile and it's a great pile. It's a really sexy pile. And I'm going to drop in my huge metal claw, and emerging out of the pile is Florence Pugh. I had a lot of time to think about it during the rest of that segment. And <laughs> it's like, okay, I said, like, if I saw Black Widow, then I would know. But don't I know ahead of time? And since I already know, I also want her to be in our Ghostbusters movie. Ryan, you get the point there. Tell the, oh, no, we still have to do the Moranis. Who do I need? Who do I have left as a Moranis? You know what? It's Aquafina. Aquafina is going to be our Rick Moranis. I can see that. Yeah. Go a little bit on the dorky side, a little bit less on the, the cocky side, and she is our Moranis. Ryan, tell the audience at home what they have won. Guys, I thought that this might be a bad Ghostbusters movie, but I'm digging it. Our Rick Moranis is Aquafina, and I think it's led by Daniel Clark. Okay, we've got Florence Pugh as the sidekick, Randall Park as the science guy, which feels a little racist, and then Tom Holland as the new kid. I want to see that movie. Dang. This would be good. Man, it's too bad they just don't make Ghostbusters movies anymore. Well, it's also too bad that we have to say goodbye to a bunch of our audience and just open up this velvet curtain and step in here to the VIP where only our delicious Patreon listeners are allowed in. We're just going to maybe do a segment, have a little bit of a conversation, swirl our cognac, and just talk about being part of the 1% when we come back. Gentlemen, does Uncut Gems earn the ending? 
is there any point that it drops the ball on earning anything? I think like it's nice that this came right after our we recorded our Midsommar show, um, where that was my major problem with the movie, and I think that I, the I, end. You mean the end? Yeah, and how it is unearned. I could see that you don't like the amount that the movie is an endless ramp, but uh-huh. I, I think that the movie is an even ramp the entire time. And if you're a dummy like me, it does a pretty good job. Like I don't know why. Like the at some point, I turned to my wife and said, "I don't think Howard knows the movies he he's in because like he's like it's gonna work this time." Like halfway through, and I was like, "No." And then I fucking got duped like Howard because the end. He's happy. The guy's trapped in the little tanker. Happy. His girlfriend's happy. They're winning millions of dollars, and I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> earn. I love it." And then he dies, and Arno dies, and I go, "Oh no, of course this is the only way this could yeah. end." <laughs> Yeah. Okay, th- that's interesting because when I even the first time I saw it, I just was like, "Oh, this was a this was w- like one too many times that they as soon as they get out of here, they are just going to kill him." And so I wasn't I wasn't as surprised by it. Well, yeah, I think that uh, it it wasn't until the end where I went back and you know figured out that Coen Brothers Asian of Chaos thing, uh-huh. you know. But the the movie definitely telegraphs it in very subtle ways the entire time again he doesn't fit the guy who ultimately shoots howard right in the eye and they cut back and also like a midsummer way back to his dead head guys like howard's gone yeah. it's time to come to terms with the fact that our main character is gone um when that happens like that that's when you realize that this person has been brewing the entire uh-huh. movie. Yeah, every time you're like, wait, Arno looked a little uneasy every time the guy did something like hang Howard out a window or like fuck with yeah. him, or, like punch him in the throat. Part of why I do feel it's end is so we cut back to Howard's face a lot. I think this is the only way Howard would have wanted to die, and there's a little smirk on his face. He just oh, won yeah. a million of dollars. A million of dollars. And it will only go down after this because he knows he'll ruin it. Go out uh, big it- the way you should. I think there's another thing too, like there's a uh, distraction or whatever magicians do going on because we spend a lot of the movie thinking that Damani, played by Lakeith Stanfield, is going to be the agent of chaos. You right. know, like this guy seems more street, you know, has different rules than the sophisticated Diamond District. And I think they're playing on us looking at what Damani looks like and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this will be the reason that it all falls apart. But for the most part, Damani does play by all the rules of the movie. It's the other guy who doesn't. Right. And Damani just and a little back. bit Kevin Garnett. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, Kevin <laughs> Garnett and Damani just push back yeah. against Howard in a way a lot of other characters don't, but not to the crazy extent the Terminator does. Yeah, I, I was think- saying though that he gets caught in between the two forces of Kevin Garnett and Howie because Kevin Garnett's got this weird opal lust, yeah. and for a while he's like, "I'm just going to hang on to it." That's not okay. You can't just say, hey, that thing that's yours, I'm just going to hold it for a while. And then get very <laughs> upset when somebody's mad at you about that. And Mike, I agree with what you were saying about that. I I think he dies in the purest state of ecstasy. I think that this is a, a weirdly happy ending for him because he can't, he can't, he keeps like feeling this ecstasy. And then when it dies away, he pursues it again. Now he has finally like died in the, in the absolute grip of it. And I think that like when the, we see that zoom into the bullet hole and then it like reproduces the shot from the beginning of the movie i think it's supposed to be in a weird way like a transcendent moment Mm -hmm. when he's talking to his wife at the passover dinner and saying let's get back together um i'm sort of of two minds about that because 
uh, on one hand, it feels like just the stupidest thing to do in the moment, and that's what Howard does. You know, <laughs> like he like this is yet another insane bet like that he has made throughout the entire movie. Or is it more of hedging bets? You know, is it saying like I can feel the end is coming, and maybe we should just do that thing of retire in you know the suburbs or whatever? That parlay. That would be the unhappy ending for someone like Howard. Is right. he gets out and uh, he just has to like. I don't know, wake up, you sleep in on Sundays and go to an eight to five job and oh. not gamble anymore. That would be death. That smile on his corpse is absolutely perfect right there. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's gotten exactly what he wanted. And this is like the version of Howard that we get because it is a slice of life. I feel like at some point he probably was somebody who didn't live like this though right like this is like a perversion of all his worst traits is what he's become my guess is that it's not easy to make it in the diamond business you got the gross conglomerate de beers out to get you at all times and trying to fuck you over uh there's a lot of haggling i think he he probably worked really hard to get as successful as he was and then when he got to like the top of his little mountain he looked around and went well i'm used to struggling what the fuck do i do now (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's another important reason why Kevin Garnett is in the movie because basically the only way that, you know, this society works for you where you can just have, like, an on-the-level life is if you are, you know, among the most talented people that have ever been born or you were born into the money. If you're not, like every other character, Arno, uh, Damani, Howard, everybody else is not just struggling but also... It's a it's a combination of on the level and not on the level things coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh-huh. really the only way that you can sort of make it that they, like they can't just work at Starbucks. That would be awful. So in order to like make and that also doesn't make ends meet, you know, yeah. right. that's struggling in a different way in order to sort of get even a glimpse of what Kevin Garnett was born with. Then you can't just be on the level. The The weird question, too, is Judd Hirsch. Like, yeah, I want Is it Howard's father in law yes. or father? father-in-law um who he asked to come to the auction to sort of like juice up the bidding of the opal and then eventually wins the opal because um, they're both married into this family through sisters yeah i think so arlo uh, and arno and howie, howie. Yeah. yeah okay yeah and this guy is judd hirsch judd hirsch buys the opal and isn't happy about it but can handle it and also has right. like a chauffeur like this this family is rich rich yeah. and so yeah. I, I can see that howard just trying to compete with the rest of his family you know like i have to keep my wife in an apartment like this with this sort of life just to like match the rest of her family right and you know adele nazim would give him shit if they didn't have several houses and it feels like the rest of that comes from the rest of the family as well because arno is like arno says at one point like nobody considers me a part of this family and you hear uh the dad say that at one point basically like he's not really one of us right he's over here like you know not you know, like trying to act like he actually belongs to this Passover dinner, but does not at all. The end of this movie kind of mirrors the beginning of it. What do you think the meaning of the like the opening and closing shots, like the into the the universe, and then the, becomes the colon? There's no nothing supernatural in this movie, but I do think we get introduced to the movie and the world of the movie and the opal with the miner who finds it leg being like cracked in half and see like yeah. there's a curse on this opal, and then we dig, we zoom into the opal and go out and come out of. Howard's colon, which is like the from the bowels of the earth, the open to the bowels of Howard. It's saying this dude is cursed. I think it's letting you know in the first five minutes that this guy's fucked right away. There's a uh-huh. curse, and then there's also like a like 
uh, we're not going to be talking about Captain America here. You know, this is not like a global thing. Howard is just a spec, just like this Opal is. But also, y- good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because like we're gonna we're gonna admit that he's just a spec, mm-hmm. and then also be able to raise the stakes as if this was a Marvel movie or something. You know, you feel that same amount of uh, like pressure of like the world's gonna explode with just this one guy. You know the. The, the universe is this thing, and then a colon exam is this thing. What if they were given equal weight mm-hmm. in this one story? Like, we go into the opal, and, like, we see something that looks like a galaxy, and we come out from the galaxy in his colon. And it kind of, doesn't it, like, isn't that a leveling device? It makes, it, like, th- these are all the same. They're all made right. of the same matter. They all exist in the same universe. And to Howard, he really is the center of a universe right and so the stakes are as high as they can possibly be for him because it's his existence there's another thing going on with that intro too which is i mean that's like you think that you're watching the wrong movie when it first comes on right like yeah and what it reminds you of is like a 80s spielberg indiana jones movie essentially Mm -hmm. and so i think that is purposeful as well it gives the gives the story like a grander scope but also i think they're saying like you know those those Hollywood characters that you idolize, they're boring and unrealistic. This is what Indiana Jones would actually be yeah. like. This is what Star-Lord would actually a be like. A piece of shit. Yeah, like that's, that. where, that's where the 80s music comes from. It sounds like the labyrinth, the whole fucking first half of this movie. It's just loud, synth-ass synth. And then, yeah, those uh, like giant boulders coming at you, but it's actually just two tiny trolls riding a little bicycle. That's so labyrinth. Nice. <laughs> that's as labyrinth as it gets. Oh, no. You know what that means? It is time for a speed round. What is this movie saying about sports fandom and the experience of sports betting? I kept looking at that through Kevin Garnett's eyes and just uh-huh. what a weird life he has to like. He is the the Captain America or the Indiana Jones to these people. You know, uh-huh. that, that's that got to be such a weird life. And then to be you, you want to hold back stuff. You don't want to give them everything. But also he does get a little real in points. And it's all strange. Every part with Kevin Garnett is strange in this awesome way. He's and a notably strange personality. Does he? Yeah, like uh, he was always noted for being eccentric, and so I think that that, that fits well with the movie. Yeah, I, I I liked him. I liked his portrayal of himself in the movie. I think sports fandom in the the scene with him and Garnett when he gets the money and he could Howard could be clear and he's like, all right, Howard, you're gonna do this many points and we're gonna get this and it's gonna be you and me, Howard. Nobody understands you and me. And I think that's Howard realizing who or Garnett realizing who all of his fans actually are at their core. They're these weird little fucking parasitic parasitic monsters who are like, I get my my good from you and we are the same. And he's like, no. But there's another point where we don't see KG where uh, Howard at the auction sends in like some nephew or something some fucking nerdy guy and says oh yeah go have kg sign all of that shit like without saying like ask him or Mm -hmm. let me see if it's okay like he's just there as a prop to sign this shit for you so we idolize and like stomp on them yeah yeah the part that made me think of like as a as someone who has been into sports at different parts of his life the experience of watching howard watch sports and being like so amped up about everything that happens and it sucks when you lose as a sports fan in that situation but when you win it really does like when the team that you want to win does win or when the player that you have on your fantasy team really does well it is super exciting and it it it, it might be parasitic as you say mike but like it is very much like a genuine type of excitement that you can feel shit uh, hold on one second sorry there's another thing going on too with that bet 
which is the bet is crazy. The, he bets on the Celtics to win, which is fine. And then KG to have like a combination of points and rebounds that equal 26. And that's fine. Then he parlays them. And that's a, a loser's bet. Like people always lose that. But there's a third bet. And that is Celtics have to win the tip off. And yes, that's, that's fucking like that is the worst possible. Like it's just it's like uh, physics and you have no like you can't be good at tip offs. Right. Really? What you're gambling on there is insane. And yeah. on one hand, it does make the amount that Howard can win astronomical. But the other thing, too, is that and he does it twice in the movie. He makes two bets that parlay tip offs. Yeah, and I think it's some weird way of Howard saying, I finally want to control all the parts of the story. I'm gonna con- I want to like have a say in the beginning, the middle, and the end instead of just like sort of falling through all of these stories. That's I want that's, Act One, Two, and Three. I, I just I saw it as him also saying like the he's good doing it because it's the craziest, dumbest bet. Is he's also so simultaneously if he wants to control the story, he also wants to release all control because it is dumb. You can't predict this. He wants to skydive with no parachute. I mean, his bookie, who you have to imagine has, is, is taking bets from a whole host of people. As soon as he hears it in the beginning of the movie, he's like, "That's the fucking stupidest shit stupid I have ever heard." Stupidest fucking bet I've ever heard. Um, yeah, and I, I, I also took it. I think Ryan, what you said was totally accurate, and Mike, I agree with that as well. And I think also it's just supposed to be like, it's like almost a tip to the people who understand betting that this guy is deep 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 into like the down the rabbit hole like he's now to get the thrill he's making stupid bets honestly i thought that like i assumed you could bet on that but i'm shocked that anybody ever has you know you like, can bet on the <laughs> coin toss that's insane yeah that is super insane so based on uncut gems where do we see the safty brothers going next are they going to do like an mcu movie or are they going to keep doing these kind of smaller movies that are more artsy but don't perform as well I hope they don't do MCU rap. Like I, I think the the biggest downfall for these young indie I and I love the MCU, but the downfall for them is they get sucked in after their first movie. Like let's let's grow a little. Let's do cool weird shit a little before you get chewed up by the system cuz the Russo brothers are not the fucking way everybody goes. Most people make the one and bail mm-hmm. and are never really heard from again. And I wouldn't call them indie directors, you know, like they were they're they're really good at like staying on top of things right and like show running tv show running but it's hard to find their like creative boys after mm-hmm. good time and uh uncut gems i feel like that we are seeing the safety brothers voice i do want to see them grow though maybe not grow into blockbusters but let's do something that doesn't feel like it's a direct attack on their audience because they think <laughs> it's funny do we have a record amount of tandem brother directing yeah. teams at this point the duplass Be- brothers or i guess the coen brothers kicked it off but there's yeah a lot. and just every brother looked at each other and went we could do that <laughs> <laughs> uh let me shout out my brother right now he and i cannot scott if you're thinking that we can we cannot do this who goes after their gems harder howard or thanos i i mean they both die for them right i'm gonna for say me, howard well, I, Ryan. Yeah, I think it's Howard because Thanos is like he thinks that he's doing a mitzvah, if I can say that. Uh, but like, if it doesn't happen, he'll be fine. Whereas Howard will die if he doesn't get this fucking jam on his glove. <laughs> See, I felt like Thanos did it a lot more for the love of the gems, um, but he's outstripped by, of course, KG. I mean, KG wasn't one of the lists there, but the, KG's the only one who just is like respecting this gem yeah. as just a beautiful thing that you could just sort of hold and look at. So I, I say KG, so you're both wrong. 
in the beginning of the movie, uh, Howard takes KG's championship ring as collateral mm-hmm. and uh-huh. then puts it on his thumb, two fingers down from his Knicks 1973 championship ring or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Where's he best name? He's building his little infinity gauntlet of <laughs> championships that nobody cares right about. Right through his hand. <laughs> that's how much like crazy stuff this guy has. That that's the only time that seventy three championship ring is ever even mentioned. Yeah, he never like he doesn't try to hawk that. He does like it's just like oh let me move it out of the way. I also These think the movie go. does a good job of explaining how jewels are worth stuff because people say they are. They're actually worth nothing. And if yeah. somebody says that your million dollar thing is worth one hundred seventy thousand, that's just it now. There's like, nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth. Oh, well, I think it's just like betting is dumb. All of this stuff is dumb. Everything is important because people say it's important. Man. Yeah. Money's just an illusion. You guys, we're getting real deep into it now. When we come back, we are going to hand out some awards. It's award time. So let me ask you, who gives the best pound for pound performance in the film? Mike? I, I think... It's it's hard. Like with Pew, there's a lot of characters here, but it, it is a story of one person, and he does more work than everybody. There, there's actors I love in here, but they don't have that much to do. Yeah. Go so you're Sandman. you're saying Adam? Yeah. yeah. It, you, you, it's hard. Like you know, you want to get cute sometimes, but it really does seem like he's doing all the work. Do you agree, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, like we've been saying that this it feels like a panic exercise, but really it is a character study. It's just a loud, obnoxious character study. That's uh, Adam Sandler. <laughs> I guess that it could be he could give a mediocre performance, you know. I guess that happens sometimes in character studies, but not often. It's definitely the Sandman. I'm gonna I'm gonna give the point to Mike because he was the first one to say it. Oh, first one I heard say him. it. Good for him. Good for him. And I have to say that that feels like the answer you have to give for this one. The only other one I'd give as a shout out to the guy who played uh, Arno Eric Brog- Bogdosian. Yeah. Um, just does a whole lot with like uh, staring. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of like the just like please look at me and understand that you can't do this. Like <laughs> you're making such a big mistake. Please don't do this anymore. But Eric it's hard P- to hold that up to Sandman's performance. Eric Pagosian is awesome. Uh, I think he gets a lot of his love because of his voice. Um, if you guys want him to want to see more of him and less of Adam Sandler, uh, Oliver Stone's talk radio is like uh-huh. a one man show, and Pagosian is awesome in it. How All much right. Adam Sandler is in that though? Zero. Literally zero. Uh, not even like little baby Adam Sandler? Oh, wait, shit. I forgot. Little baby Adam Sandler is in it. He has four scenes. <laughs> and introducing little baby Adam Sandler. <laughs> uh, okay, what is what takes the award for cringiest moment? Ryan? I think this is... Uh, like kind of a not cringy movie i think that this movie does i mean it's 2019 it's a lot easier to award cringy shit to movies from the 80s yeah Um, but i think the thing that like cringed me out the most is adam sandler constantly showing black dudes the footage of the somalian jews he stole from Uh and say look we're the same because you're black i'm jewish they're black jews and also i fucking i straight up robbed them like they died for me to get this opal isn't that awesome and every black guy in the movie is like what the no no absolutely not (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's such a little weirdo that is definitely part of what's weird about him (laughs) mike what do you say uh there's a scene when his son really has to pee uh, and so they go by the apartment because he knows Jules is there, but he's not sure. So he makes his son go to a neighbor's apartment. Neither of them have ever met. Uh, and then afterwards, his his kid is like, 
your neighbor said some hawker lives there. Is it mom? Oh, and yeah. all of it made me. It's I don't. It skeeved me out so hard. Like that his son's. It's like one. I guess it's innocent, but two. It's also just like I guess mom's hot. Is it mom? <laughs> Is it my, Belcher over here. Is it my hot mom? I'm going to give the point to Ryan there. That makes uh, sense. I thought somebody might say the weird guy on the helicopter. Oh yeah. <laughs> was guy, he in the ri- was he in the right cartoon. movie? Did he no. accidentally walk into the wrong film? And he played himself, right? Like he's an actual character that hangs out in the Diamond District that everybody knows. He's like the Robert Evans of that area. Oh, Does okay. He know he's supposed to be a pervy creep in the movie? Yeah, I think so I think touch. so. He's just, I he's, think if he's one of those older men who just like I know times are changing, but not me. Give me a yeah. I think if you were like seventy years old and you want the company of young women, you've already given it up that you're like a super creepy perv. So you just kind of lead into that. You but, know, at least that way they can self-select. He hits on Julia a million times, and she's like, "I uh, absolutely not. You're disgusting." And he's like, "Oh, I love you, baby. Keep, yeah. keep giving it to me." It is out of all the creepy men, I did like him more because of that. Specifically, what I felt cringe was cringy about him was she gets up to the room and he's like, "I'm gonna go take a shower," and it's like, since that's apparently the exact move <laughs> yeah, that like Weinstein used and everything, he that looks part like, was he looks like half of the front row or courtside seats at Laker games. Like, dude, I would say he, half of the people look like that. Okay, there is one guy that he looks exactly like who goes to every Lakers game and wears like a weird big cowboy hat and it's just like made of old fruit leather. <laughs> <laughs> they are new on the scene, but who? What? What one moment takes the signature moment award for the Safety Brothers? Oh man, uh, I Mike. Oh, sorry, Mike. I said, I, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint down to one moment, but I think a lot of people try to put furious movement in their movie. Uh, like Birdman or 1917, but instead of like being caught up in the movie, you're like, isn't that, there's a spectacle. And people just talk about the technicality. But I think a good movie also lets you get lost in the movie. And this movie is nonstop to the point where that when they freeze, the panic induces because you're like, there's going to be even more. Something worse is going to happen because it is quiet right now. So just the ability to have that <laughs> furious, frenetic movement. It's like when you stub your toe and there's like one brief moment of just pain-free. You're like, oh, this is yeah. totally fine. And then yeah. it just <laughs> avalanches on you. And you always take that moment to be like, well, this is going to be a bad one. And then it is. <laughs> Ryan, uh, what do you I say? I think that the signature thing here is the music. I, I, I want to say Panic, but I don't think they're going to like spend their entire career you know, making movies about Panic. I think that their ability to just... It felt like they had this knob, and they would just turn it up and turn it down whenever it felt like the worst time to do that. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that that had a huge impact on like how your heart was doing while you watched this movie. Yeah, you know, it's hard to pick a signature move for such young directors, but that feels like what's probably going to be their thing, which is just like, what if we had the music be too loud at exactly, as you said, Ryan, the wrong time? So Ryan gets the point there... How about New York Minute? What's the most New Yorky thing to happen in a movie that is New Yorky as hell? Uh, let's go with I Ryan. I have to give it all to, and I cannot believe the performance was this good. Could have almost won pound for pound performance award. It's Mike Francesa. His his, his look, yeah, his <laughs> voice. He only has like uh, ninety seconds in the movie. His bookie, okay, is also a famous um, like New York sports talk radio guy mm. uh, who. Has his fans and also has his detractors, but like this guy was just born New York, you know, like it yeah. just oozes <laughs> out of him, and everything he says and everything he does is just ultimate New York to me. 
Yeah, for sure. But he really does play a character in this too, which I, I think is, is interesting. Mike, what do you say? What's the, as New York-y as heck? It's post-weekend, them screaming in and out of the cab, slamming doors, opening doors back up again, getting in front of the cab. Like that is, you're going to see that a thousand times a night if you go out in that town. It is, people are loud and trashy. Outside almost any club in any city, you'll see people screaming at each other. But like the sprawling over the hood of the cab and the like opening the door to the cab and then kind of screaming into it as part of the argument. That's like as New York-y as and it walking gets. walking back and screaming at random people in the line for no yes. reason. Dude, yes. <laughs> that's then going after. Her. What are you looking at? Nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Mike, since you moved back uh, away from New York, is it hard to sleep? Like, do you have to have a soundtrack of people screaming at each other yeah, outside your window? I'm glad I got... I get sick of my old tracks, so and I'm just going to play that part on repeat as I sleep. Isn't it just a lot of people responding, shut up a year face, to somebody who had just before them screamed out, shut, shut up, up a year face? face. I'm a walking here. <laughs> yeah, what I don't get is people on like the 30th floor will open their apartment windows and say, I'm walking here. <laughs> no, you're not, you New York idiot. <laughs> I'm in my apartment walking. How about the award for the biggest shake my damn head moment? Mike? Uh, I think it's it has to be when he finally gets the real cash money from Garnett. Like, you're know, like, oh, shit. And he's instantly like, we got to play all. <laughs> you and me like that. It's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this movie could be done and you could live your life fine. Just don't do this. And then he ends up like throwing the briefcase out the window to Jules in another window. And you're just like, stop all of this. Yeah, there, should, <laughs> there should be more alternate endings on Blu-rays, which isn't like uh, some other crazy thing the director thought, but just the character being like, thank you for the money. I'll give it to the bad guy. And then just credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> that is when the movie did the best job, I felt like, of making betting seem like drugs. Mm-hmm. That whole like, let's bet on this shit. Like was so like, let's smoke a bowl energy. <laughs> Plus, he had been talking the entire movie that that Opal was going to get him a million dollars. And so what he did was he took the 1.7 or 170000 that he got and then made a bet that would get him $1 million. Uh-huh. Like, he just wasn't going to stop until he got what he thinks he deserves. Uh-huh, which is a million dollars. I think he wasn't going to stop until he got what he deserved or what he really wanted, which is exactly what he ended up getting. the fucking eye. Yeah, dude. R- Ryan, what do you say for biggest I shake my damn head moment? That's. I mean, that's got to be it. Like, that's... I can't like in theaters. I bet people were just screaming. Yeah, uh, but if I had to have a runner-up, I would say it's uh, saying, you know what, Adina Menzel, or what's her John Travolta name? Uh, Adele Dazeem. <laughs> you know what, Adele Dazeem. Let's make this work. And how after yeah. everything that's happened, how could you think that? And she, she like grabs onto that scene, and she's like, "You fucking idiot! Look at your face. I hate your lips. I hate your nose. I yeah. hate." Every, everything about you, you're the most annoying person I've ever seen. And you're he's the just most like, annoying. He's just like, cool, cool, cool. We'll talk about this later, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because he's willing to debase himself to any degree to try to get what he thinks he needs, which is to just not be divorced right now. He just can't be divorced. Uh, I was thinking one, what you guys might potentially say is Arlo canceling like the six-way parlay from the beginning uh, of yes. the movie. Because this, I really do see this as a movie that's about, I keep calling him Arlo, but I think it's Arno. A movie about Arno and how he's also kind of his own version of Howard and how he's making everything well, go yeah, so that's poorly. that's such an ego thing. You could let it ride and get the money. But instead, you're uh-huh. going to ego and drip and drab it out. Like, fuck yeah, you, dude. You can definitely make the argument that Howard is two th- hired thugs away from being Arno. But the thing that we get to see in Arno's face in that scene and other scenes that we d- typically don't get from villains or uh, like definitely not the, you know, the blonde thug is the camera cuts to his face. 
after uh, Adam Sandler tells him that they would have won that bet, and Arnold's yeah. like, "Motherfucker, you <laughs> yeah. son of a bitch, dude." <laughs> But I have to give this one to Ryan because in a movie full of terrible, awful, bad decisions, actually pitching like, let's do it, baby. <laughs> let's make it work. I've been missing you so much. She's trash. You're, you're all I ever wanted. All right. When we come back, I'm going to tabulate the scores and we'll talk about the future prospects of Uncut Gems. We are back and I have the score, the final score, Mike. You scored 20 points, big guy. Fuck. And that's that's a great score. No, it's not. But Ryan, you Let's scored 22. <laughs> I should have had you guys bet points. Let's in the do beginning. a double speed round. Mike's <laughs> three-way parlay was that Mike wins, I win, and we tie all at the same time. <laughs> I don't get how parlay works. I learned it from <laughs> Curse of the Black Pearl. <laughs> so Ryan, you once again are taking the mantle. Uh, Mike, you're going to need to mail that mantle to Ryan so I'll he can wear it. To him, social distancing. You know, it's it's been great being your social distance best friend, Greg. Yeah. You don't feel like you got kind of ripped off that this was the conditions under. There's yeah. Less hugs yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. So, Ryan, you were the best friend. But let's talk about Uncut Gems. Gentlemen, how do we think this movie's going to do? I think that uh, I'm, I'm sort of happy for this movie that the Joker is in the Elite Eight. Like, nothing. I think it's a great movie. I think it can move on multiple rounds, mm-hmm. if not totally take the whole thing down. But, my God, if it goes against in a bracket with Joker, like, how can we not just jizz all over Uncut Gems? You know? like <laughs> How loud it, we will chortle. There is nothing that Joker tries to do that Uncut Gems doesn't destroy it at. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I could see this being like, I think there's flashier movies, there's movies that have more hype behind them generally, but I could see this being the under, the underdog that takes it all down. Undercut? The undercut gem. And also, yeah, I mean, like, I think that there could potentially be Moody's in store, you know, like, uh, with the acting, you know, like, does Adam Sandler get what the Oscars, from Moody's, that uh, the Oscars would not give him, which is at least a nomination and potentially a win. They were asked, the Safdie brothers, about uh, whether or not they were angling for Moody's, and they explicitly said that they were hunting Moody's with this movie. Yeah, they're young, they're hip. Yeah. We're the MTV, uh, TV, and movie awards of their generation. <laughs> Rock the vote. But, I mean, like, going back to the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix won the Moody, and I'm going to guess uh, that, or I'm sorry, won the Oscar. Uh, Oscar. And I'm going to guess that he doesn't win it, which I do think opens up a lane for Adam Sandler, best actor, KG, best supporting actor. Take him yes. down, gentlemen. A clean sweep. A clean sweep. Well, that is it for our Uncut Gems show. Guys, what are we doing next week? I guess, Ryan, the choice is to you, right? Yeah. As Fuck. as winner, you get to choose. What are we doing? You know what we're doing, right? Let's do it back to back. Guys, let's just get it over with. Joker is up oh, next. Shit. Oh! I did not expect <laughs> that. What did you think? What? I don't know. Uh, the Irishman? The Naked Gun two and a half? Naked Head two and a half, probably. Ryan, give me a website. Uh, one website you can go to is yourpotfilter.com. That is our mothership for this baby show. Go there to get all of the pot filter shows and articles, yourpotfilter.com. While you're there, type in yourpotfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new bookmark for all of your Amazon shopping. Guys, you can't go to real stores. You got to go to Amazon stores. Why don't you help us out a little bit too by going there? One more website, Greg, if I could. 
is patreon.com slash your pop filter. Go there to support us, but you don't get any shopping done, except you shopped for more entertainment and laughs. So pick a tier <laughs> and do that. Yourpopfilter.com slash Patreon. And enjoy your entertainment and laughs. Mike, you see me young and hip. Do you know about social media? Uh, I don't talk about social media until this black light's on. Okay. Okay, it's and on. And it's on. Uh, Wait, hold on. Yeah. What a fucking good play right there. Like, he probably didn't care about the black light the weekend, but once it came on, the audience started cheering, which is yeah. all you yeah. need from the... Such a good move. And it was just a <laughs> highlighter of Lakeith Stanfield then, because everybody yeah. else was in white and he was in an yeah. orange shirt. <laughs> uh, you should check us out at Your Pop Filter on Twitter, on Instagram. You know how those things work. We're there. You'll love it. Enjoy. Ryan. You probably enjoy the music associated with this show. I do. Talk about that briefly. Uh, The music is, as always, provided by Shady Monk. You can find him on Spotify by typing in Shady Monk. He has, our. I think our songs are on Spotify, so you can just listen to those. Or his hundreds of other guys. Like This guy's prolific, gentlemen. This guy has so much music, and it's for free if you pay for Spotify. Wow, that that's an incredible deal. You can email us at contacts at yourpopfilter.com. You can check out our Patreon. What's our Patreon's address, Mike? It is patreon.com slash Very good. We have other shows like the Superhero Show Show and the OCD. You guys, the OCD, where Mike and Ryan talk about every episode of the OC and gaze longingly at each other. And that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we are doing The Joker, not because we want to, but because we owe it to you, our listener. So please check that out. But until then, hey, you, keep watching that movie.